0: We are in Ephesians 5, and the temptation, it's not a bad temptation, I've just preached it before, it'd be really easy, because I, I did a wedding yesterday, uh, there's that section in a, at the end of Ephesians 5 that uh, talks about husbands and wives, and men love this passage because, husbands love this passage, because it, in the Bible, when people divided it up, it's not written like that, but when you put headings in, there's this spot that says, husbands and wives, and then the first sentence is, wives, submit to your husbands. Men love that. But we forget about the verse right before that. that says, And it goes actually with, five and, or with, with that section and following, not up. Out of reverence for Christ, submit lovingly to one another. Wives, here's how you might do that. Husbands, here's how you might do that. Men, this is what you should be doing for your wives. Women, this is how you respect your husband. It's some really good stuff. In fact, husband and wife... It's, and with God is supposed to be a way of looking at God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, mutually submissive to one another, lifting the other up, uh, no competition. That's how a marriage is supposed to be. So I encourage you to read it and look at it, but don't just look at the stuff that you want your spouse to see, look at the stuff that God says about you. But we're gonna be at the first part of, of Ephesians 5 today, actually starting with verse three. And it is difficult in the times we live, to be thinking, to be reminded, to keep in mind, it's a better way of putting it, what Paul thinks, therefore what God thinks, when he's talking about maturity. See, a couple of of weeks ago, we were in Ephesians 3, that really talks about the unity in the church and the maturity of believers. And then last week, uh, Ephesians 4, really that chapter's really talking about purity, purity of mind, which leads to purity of behavior. And we talked last week about Paul being convinced that our mind being transformed is first and primary. We can have even some people have right behavior, but their mind isn't God's, isn't, isn't the mind that God wants them to have. And so he, he concentrates on that again here. Now there is, there are some difficult things at the beginning of this passage. There's one of those lists of uh, lots of sins. It's reminiscent of Galatians 5, which we'll look at today briefly. Um, There's some difficult things in there, but Paul is telling us that even though these behaviors point towards something, point towards sin, these behaviors are sinful because we give into them and we give into them because our minds have not been renewed. And we don't always think of it this way, but every thought you have of God that is true is given to you by God. Because the scripture tells us no one seeks God and no one is good. And it tells us that there's darkness and there's light, but darkness has no understanding of light. Darkness can't explain light. Light just overpowers darkness. So God, any, any, any thought you have of God that is true, that lines up with scripture is given to you by God. Therefore... You can think God's thoughts, not all of God's thoughts, his ways are beyond our ways. The scripture says, even God's foolishness, not that there is any, but even God's foolishness is greater than all of humanity's wisdom. You can't think all of God's thoughts, but you can think God's thoughts. Paul believes that Christians should be cooperating with the spirit of God as the spirit of God gives us the mind of Christ. And so that is absolutely crucial, that is primary, that is first, that is plenary, whatever other word that talks about it's more important than everything else, that's the word for it. So we're going to talk through that and we're going to read through the first part of this which has some difficult things. And I want you, he's serious, he's not kidding, but I would like to ask you to listen with the idea that if your mind were different, your behavior would be different as well. It reads like this. Oh, let me pray. Did I already pray? I didn't pray. Okay. This is the fourth sermon in 14 hours. So I can't remember what I've done and what I haven't. Here we go. Maybe God will give me his mind. Lord, stand in my shoes. Give me your thoughts and give me your words. Speak with my mouth so that your people hear what you want them to hear today. Not what I want them to hear. Lord, this is your message for us. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you want us to see and hear and hearts to receive it so that we leave here, as Pastor Kurt was saying, transformed, that we leave here with you dwelling within us, that we leave here knowing something's different because of whose we are. Be blessed and bless us in the midst of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Reads like this, difficult stuff up front, we'll concentrate kind of at the end. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or any kind of impurity, or of greed, because those are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, Impure or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because, or, uh, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness. Now, this is a big step that Paul makes. It's the only time that I know of in the New Testament where he doesn't say, you were once in darkness but he says, you were once darkness. If, if I was darkness, that means that I had no concept of light. I was dark, I was evil, I was dead. No life in me. And he's talked about that before, that all of us were born with this, I, the, the, this, this separation from God. We were once dead in our sins and transgressions. But he says here that you were darkness. You were once darkness, but now... You are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and, uh, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it, why it is said, wake, wake, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And then the part we're really going to concentrate on because it has more to do with mind. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. By the way, debauchery is, is uh, it's a, one of those churchy biblical words, but it's, it's useless or fruitless or wasted time and energy, and it's also when you, we kind of lead others to, towards sin, so debauching another person is, is wasting their time because you're not pointing them toward the things that are right and noble uh, and leading them to do the same. That's not, it's never spoken of well. So don't, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lots of stuff. One thing I want to call to mind, and it says that for the day, uh, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Don't we kind of think that these days are evil? It's hard to think back 2,000 years ago and think that anything was really as bad as, as it is right now. We, we tend to think that our experience is the experience. But you know that, that w- at least one, I think it was two, of Jesus' actual disciples, the apostles, other than Judas was a disciple, he never became an apostle. Uh, Judas hanged himself. But you know that one was crucified upside down just because he wouldn't deny his faith. Another was boiled in oil. We think we have it bad. We're, compared to that, we are mildly inconvenienced and mildly criticized for the faith that we have. So our days are evil, but every generation has seen evil in their days. What is God's call? When we look at the world that we live in the circumstances of, within which we live, what is God's calling to us on how we behave? Cause it says right here, be very careful then how you live. we, we it's not new to the new Testament. Um, Haggai chapter 1 verses 5 and verse, verses five and 7, it says, the Lord, this is what the Lord says, give careful thought to your ways. Notice it doesn't just say behave differently. It says think about it. Be careful how you live, not as unwise but as wise. What is, what is the difference between wisdom and knowledge? I, there's a lot of ways to define it, but never in the course of human history has so much knowledge been available at the sound of a voice or the click of a button. This morning, we were talking about someone who had surgery and they had they had surgery on their parathyroid. I had never heard of a parathyroid before. And I asked, what is it? I don't know, it's alongside the thyroid? It's a helper to the thyroid? Like paramilitary or parachurch? I don't know. So I went, so mute your phone because that, you might set them all off. Hey Siri, what's a parathyroid? Did it go off? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and. Within seconds, I was told. That is, the knowledge that is available to us is unbelievable. And some of it's real. Some of it's true. Some of it's factual. Some of it isn't. That's what the internet's about. But having knowledge is not having wisdom. And we're told, be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. So what, what is Wisdom. Wisdom is knowing, as an example, is knowing that someone is doing something they shouldn't do. Wisdom is knowing they're doing something they shouldn't do and that you need to say something Take make the most of every opportunity for the days are evil. Knowledge is knowing what they need to hear and you tell them and you shame them and you shun them and you do all that. Wisdom is not only knowing how to, what to say, but how to say and when to say. See, Abraham Lincoln said once, better to keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Sometimes we are quick to speak and slow to listen. Sometimes we want our words to matter more than who we are and how we behave toward other people. That is our political rhetoric. It's accusation, suspicion, finger pointing, finger pointing, finger pointing, yelling and screaming, amygdala hijack all the time. But if you look at the scriptures, there's a whole part of the Old Testament called wisdom literature. If you look in Proverbs 1, 2, and 3, you will, you will see God's view of wisdom and foolishness. And wisdom is always what he wants from us. We're supposed to give careful thought to our ways. We're supposed to be very careful then how we live. So it is difficult in our day and age to be wise. And we always think that we are wise, and the other isn't. So I'm gonna—I'll I'll give you an example. Um, how many of you? Let's just go back a couple of months when, when the all the protests and and riots—I I'm, I'm, am distinguishing between the two—and and all—and all, and there was so little knowledge about the uh, the the COVID-19 the coronavirus. Disease 19. That's what COVID means. That we didn't know what we, we didn't know. We still thought that if you got a package from Amazon, you had to sterilize it and set it over for two hours or two days or five days or seven days or fourteen days before you could touch it. Remember all that fear that was there. And remember when you started you started hearing new things, new ideas, and this person said this, but this person said this, and you decided who you trusted. And you started making different decisions. Decisions that were either in keeping with what the the, the government officials are telling us or not in keeping with. And you had conversations with family members or friends, either on the phone, via Zoom, via FaceTime, or in person. And you were explaining why you think the way you think, what you've decided to do and how you're going to do it. Remember those conversations? You probably had some. And have you been in the situation where you're explaining what you think and they disagree and you know you're being judged as you're talking? You know it. You know they think you either don't care about other people or that you are afraid of everything. I mean, those are the two options that we have today. You're being judged while you're explaining what you think is wise. Let me tell you what a wise man or a wise woman does when they're being judged, according to scripture. You choose to take the hit and not judge in return. And that is the most difficult thing, in my opinion, that a Christian has to do. You can say, hey, you do you, I do me. Okay. But you're taking shots and you're being judged. And so I know people that have lost friends. Christians who have lost Christian brothers and sisters as friends because of decisions made in all of this stuff. That is unwise, folks. Because if any time this world needs people who know how to love one another, who know how to respect one another, who know how to live in harmony with one another, it's now. Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. Even if you're being judged. Remember, Jesus was judged. They murdered him. And what does he say as he's hanging on a cross, bleeding out, suffocating? What does he say about the people that put him up there? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The rich young man who comes to Jesus says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Number one, good teacher, he's, he's baiting him. Jesus deals with that. Number two, what must I do to inherit? And inheritance isn't something that you do, it's something someone else does. But set that aside. Jesus says, you know the commandments? Oh, yeah. I've kept them since I was a kid. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, sell everything you have, give to the poor, follow me. And the guy walked away. And we all know, many of us, most of us know that story pretty well, but we often miss one thing. One thing, it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, one thing you lack. He didn't curse him. He didn't even judge him. He told him what judgment would look like and the guy chose judgment. But Jesus didn't chase after him. He didn't apologize to him, but he also loved him. What does Jesus do when, th- when he's threatened by someone else? Now, Jesus might not have seen it as a threat, but his disciples did. In Mark chapter 1, when the, the, the guy that's healed of leprosy, he comes to Jesus. Now, we know now that, that Hansen's disease, which is what we now call leprosy, is is a parasite that people get from, from from polluted water. And it 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 starts to eat away the lining of the nerves and that kind of thing. But they didn't know that then. They 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 treated leprosy like we treat the coronavirus of 2019. Don't breathe their air. And I'm not mocking. I mean that's that's how it's transmitted. They thought that you can't breathe their air because you would get it. So lepers weren't allowed to be in touch or around anybody, 30 to 50 feet away. If they saw you coming, they had to stop where they were and yell out unclean and remain where they were until everybody else was gone. And if they didn't, the right thing to do was to throw rocks at them until they were dead. That was the law of the time. So when this guy approaches Jesus, yes, he's desperate. But he is threatening Jesus and his disciples with this contagion. And he falls to his knees and he says, If you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus made him clean. He says, I'm willing, be clean. But you know what he did first? It says right there. If you're you're willing, you can make if, if I'm if I'm willing, of course, be clean. But it says that he reached out and touched him and then said, I'm willing, be clean. Me, I would have made him clean and then touched him. I'd give him a hug after he's not gonna make me sick. But not gee, he loved him right where he was. He didn't judge him, even though he had threatened him. He loved him. That's God's call for us. And the way it starts is in the mind. We can have the thoughts of God. We can have the mind of Christ. We can carefully think about all of our responses. We can decide in advance that even if we're being shot at, we're not gonna shoot back. We can decide in advance that when someone treats us as if they are our enemy, to not, to not, to not hate them, but to love them to pray for those who persecute us. We can decide in advance and we must decide in advance. We must prepare with the mind of Christ, with the heart of God, the Holy Spirit. says right here, that that be filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't have any control of whether the Holy Spirit fills us or not. That happens to us at our conversion and he dwells within us and he wholly owns us. That I belong body and soul and life and death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. The the temple now that the Holy Spirit indwells is not between walls, it's between two lungs but we can either aggravate the spirit's work in us or we can cooperate with the spirit's work in us and where does he do most of his work in the mind think about the times that when paul says we it is un, unthinkable to even speak of the things that people do who are being disobedient it is shameful i think he says okay we've all done things that we don't want anyone to know about where did those things start in your mind, you let the bird fly over your head and you let it make a nest in your hair and it becomes something that it shouldn't become. This isn't new. Paul tells us in Galatians, he talks about the acts of the sinful nature and the fruit of the spirit. The acts of the sinful nature, it says, are obvious. This is Galatians 5 19 and following sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, not that we're seeing any of that these days, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, this word factions is actually political party spirit, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before, those who live like this, not not those who mess up every now and then, but those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Same thing Paul says in Ephesians. But the fruit of the spirit To be loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and have self-control, that battle is in our mind. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And folks, those of you who are younger, I'm, I'm 54. I'm, I'm a granddad. I just haven't met my granddaughter yet. She's going to be born in about a month. I'm just gonna I'm gonna say a couple things that old guys say. Okay, I've been in conversations with some people that are in their 20s, and they and they and and I'm just not freaked out about all the stuff that's going on. Like, don't you care? Don't you care? Like, yeah, I care, I do. But I'm old enough to realize that some wisdom comes from having been disappointed in my politicians already. My first president that I remember was Nixon. I'm old enough and I've gained, through experience, I've gained some modicum of wisdom that I'm gonna be lied to, I'm gonna be betrayed and promises that are made aren't kept. And I just don't buy that they control what God decides. I'm old enough and I've had enough wisdom to realize that all the times I've been scared before, all the times that God has told me, or that, that people have told me that everything is gonna change if this person or this person, and God is still God. I'm not telling you not to care. I voted this week, and by the way, I, uh, Holland Township, I, it's a Zealand address, but Holland Township, the clerk there, that poor woman, it everyone's there. I don't have my ID, but I want it. And she's like, I can't do that. I can't do this. But she was patient and kind and helpful. Um, she was awesome. And I told her that when I left because I had to get back in line twice. And I was, oh my goodness. <laughs> told her, I told her that as I said, by the way, you were, you were very helpful. You were very patient and you were very kind. And three people in the line said, here, here. Now we could have turned that around and made it like, why don't you get more people here? She didn't sign up for this vote care but understand that that with disappointment comes some wisdom that god will either give us who we deserve or who he thinks we need there's some wisdom that comes from recognizing that personality and polity or policy are different so I'm not saying don't care, be passionate. I used to have so much fervor is the word I'll use. And now this has proven trustworthy more than all the other. And I think wisdom comes not just from knowledge and not just from reading headlines, but reading whole articles. Not just listening to the pundits, but listening to the person that spoke the words in the context that they were given. I think there's wisdom in come, that comes from knowing the Lord for a lifetime and saying, Lord, when I read the scriptures, I come across some things that I don't like. And I come across some things that I kind of disagree with. And there's some wisdom that comes from the trustworthiness of scripture. When I decide, this is from Francis Chan. He said it, I don't remember where he was, but he said, when I read the scripture and find something I don't like, or I read the scripture and find something I disagree with, I have to assume that I am wrong. God's not wrong. He's the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. Be very careful how you live because the one you follow is faithful. I love this from 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5. I love the first part because I kind of had that prophetic part like Arr! we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. Oh yeah. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That is God's call for you and for me as a follower of Christ to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Those things that you've done that you regret, those things that you've done that you just hope no one will ever find out, the things that when you're doing them you hope no one comes through the door, no one sees, those start here if you take captive every thought and decide I'm gonna make it obedient to Christ because I know how I'm gonna feel, I know what it's gonna do, I know what the fruit of this is, I don't want that fruit, I want the fruit that comes to love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. All the stuff listed at the first part of Galatians 5 comes as a result of not having our mind renewed, of not thinking with the mind of Christ, and of not holding every thought captive. Every time you're tempted, as a Christian, you're given a way out. And you can choose to either participate with God in the way out, or you can choose to aggravate, push the spirit away and give in. It's always better, always, when you choose the way out instead of giving in. Folks, it is easy to live by your desire. It is easy to do what comes natural. It is easy when I know I'm being judged to quietly judge in return. But that is not God's way, it is my way. And so daily I have to make the choice and I often fail, your will, not mine. I don't like this, but I assume I'm wrong and you're right. It is tough and it's gonna get tougher. But has there ever been a time since you've been alive that people that know how to love one another, get along with one another, build one another up, not judge one another, has there ever been a time that that's more needed than right now? You know the people people are looking at the church. They'll say, Well, where's the church on this one? Well, they haven't wanted anything we've had to say for the last twenty years, but now they want to hear. Okay, we could get sarcastic about it. But they're watching. And if they see us turn against one another, if they see us hate our brother or sister in Christ, if they see us break up friendships over politicians, then they're right. We're all a bunch of hypocrites. I pray that's not true. So be very careful how you live. Not as unwise. Not as a reactionary person. Don't do what comes natural. Be wise. Be responsive. And do what comes supernatural. Natural to God is supernatural to us. And you can do it. Let's pray. Lord, help us think your thoughts. You tell us that we are, we are the light in you. You've told us that we're the salt of the earth. We preserve it and we, we, we keep it from getting infected. You tell us that we're the light of the world, which also is a disinfectant. And it, and it gives people something to guide by. Help us keep that in mind to be renewed, transformed by the renewing of our mind. Give us your thoughts, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name, for his sake and for his glory. Amen.